deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. Uh, my guests this hour are Gil Morales, who is the co-founder of The Virtue of Selfish Investing, which is an online investory service, investment advisory service, and Dr. Chris Kotcher, uh, who is also the co-founder of Virtual Selfish Investing. And they're just the authors of a new book called Trade Like an O'Neill Disciple, How We Made 18,000% in the Stock Market. Welcome to the show, Gil and Chris. Uh, thanks, Jordan. Hi. Good to be here. Jordan, thanks for having us. Let's just start with a little bit of your background. Let's start with you, Gil. I mentioned briefly, but just kind of give a brief uh, background of, of uh, what you've done leading into the uh, writing of this book. Uh, well, going all the way back, I've been in the business over 20 years. I started Merrill Lynch in Beverly Hills and Payne Weber in uh, Century City. That was later bought by UBS. But I was in 1997, <clears throat> excuse me, from Payne Weber, was recruited by Bill O'Neill to uh, come and head up his institutional advisory group or institutional services group. So I was actually hired as vice president and manager of the institutional services group for O'Neill. Uh, when we were advising over, I'm going to say 500 to 600, probably of the most, uh, some of the largest and most successful institutional investors uh, in the world. Also, I was recruited to run the internal uh, capital, so the, the company ran its own capital internally, uh, and I did that uh, until 2006, and then went off to uh, begin uh, uh, off on my own, running money. And uh, in 2009, uh, Chris and I came back together. <coughs> After being a couple other ventures that didn't work out for us uh, separately, uh, we got back together in 2009 to form Virtuous Selfish Investing. Okay, Chris, give us your background then. Uh, backgrounds uh, in nuclear physics. I did a PhD at UC Berkeley, uh, helped to discover element 110 on the periodic table of elements uh, with uh, Glenn Seaborg uh, spearheading that. Um, and then uh, I started uh, figuring out how to how to time the market in 1990. Uh, 1991 was my first good year, and it's a market direction model that I continue to use to this day. Uh, in '96, in January, um, William O'Neill. Uh, I started at that company, and a year and a half later, he uh, offered to um, uh, help to have me run uh, part of his uh, uh, his his own uh, wealth, and uh, continued on in that vein for a number of years. Also uh, doing a lot of research uh, studies on the stock market, both fundamental and uh, analytical in nature. Um, and then uh, at, at uh, some point I uh, decided to uh, relocate to Geneva to set up a company, which was a great learning experience because it taught me that you can have a great uh, track record, but if the other two portfolio managers aren't, aren't living up to expectations, it's going to draw down, drag down your returns. Um, and Gil and I decided to reunite uh, in 2009, and since then it's it's been uh, just good as gold, just like it was back in the uh, late 90s and er earlier this decade with him. So it's been a, a great run uh, with the book, the website, um, and we're really enjoying the ride. Tell us about Virtue of Selfish Investing and what's at that website and what kind of ways can you help investors at that website? Well, the website has an invest investor education section we make available to everybody. We encourage people to go there, type in keywords to the search bar um, on position sizing, uh, selling, buying, pyramiding, any topic that they might be interested in. And these are FAQs, uh, frequently asked questions by uh, our, uh, our members. Our membership has grown into the thousands. Um, we're very pleased with that, and we... Uh, have a um, we, we we really delight in being able to take uh, an investor and help them optimize a trading strategy. So um, of course the other parts of the website are service oriented, uh, including real time uh, actionable emails on buying buying uh, and selling shorting stocks. 
uh, as well as my uh, featured market direction model, which uh, which is uh, infrequently, typically 12 to 20 times a year. Um, and so uh, people with little time to cover the market or who don't even care to study the market can still utilize some of these services and not have it uh, affect their workday. The first part of your book is all about the O'Neill uh, trading method. Um, and some people may familiar, be familiar with it, some people maybe not. What is the unique aspect of the O'Neill method that makes it so useful for investors today? Why don't we go with you, Gil, on that one? Uh, I would say that what makes it unique is that it's simply based on observations of what the market, in fact, does, as opposed to theories and a lot of you know, modern portfolio theory, the idea of low PEs representing absolute value. Uh, so it is unique in, in that it is against the grain, uh, but it's essentially based, O'Neill's methodology is essentially based on uh, simply cataloging what the biggest winning stocks in the stock market uh, historically have looked like at the time that they start their big moves and just cataloging those characteristics and then applying those in real time as sort of a template or a model uh, to find the same stock or stocks exhibiting similar or the same characteristics currently in the market presently. So I think that what really sets it apart is, number one, based on what the market is really doing or how the market really acts rather than academic theory. Uh, and number two, it is based on studying how the biggest winning stocks in history, the biggest gainers in history, uh, the biggest companies in history have uh, evolved and, and what the characteristics were at the time so that you could uh, have identified them uh, you know, before they started their big run. Let's go through some of the theories that you talked about, some of the uh, uh, strategies that he talks about. Uh, one of them is to buy expensive stocks, not cheap stocks. Uh, Chris, why is that uh, a better way to do it? Most people would say buy things when they're cheap and sell them when they're expensive. Well, there's different ways to skin a cat in this game, and uh, we are not value-oriented investors. We uh, are looking for strength because strength begets strength. And our studies over many market cycles, going back all the way to the 1920s, have shown that in any given market cycle, the, le the leading stocks are not just going to double in price. They're, they're going to go up several hundred percent or more. And so the idea is how do, how do we find those names before they've made their huge moves, and how do we uh, pyramid and capitalize on those kinds of gains? Um, as listeners may very well know, William O'Neill uh, is known for his ability to land on exceptionally uh, uh, powerful stocks that will lead um, a good part of the market cycle. And uh, that's where he's perhaps made the bulk of his gains. Um, all it takes is one or two of these names in any given year to make the hu a huge difference in one's portfolio. That's what we've been doing as well, uh, being students of his uh, since uh, the, the mid-'90s. Um, and, of course, having read his book in 1989, I, be I became a, I guess you could call it a, a student of sorts, uh, trying to figure out how to, how to use, utilize his methods in a very profitable way. So uh, the idea is strength begets strength. So you're looking for top-quality fundamentals and top-quality technical action. The technicals tell you when to buy, and the fundamentals tell you uh, whether you want to even consider the stock in the first place. So is a good place to start uh, the 52-week high list, or you're looking for the stocks that have been going up the most as a, a starting place? Relative strength uh, screens are good. Uh, you want to see stocks that have been leading or outperforming uh, the general markets. So if the markets are going into a correction uh, or have been correcting for some time, you're looking for the stocks that are forming constructive price volume action bases. In other words, uh, bases being sideways, con sideways consolidations. You want to see certain characteristics in those bases that will identify uh, a high-quality basing pattern. And those are the stocks you want to key in on. Of course, 
the backdrop assumes that such a basing pattern um, will also have excellent fundamentals. So the stock, in other words, would have uh, accelerating, accelerating or robust earnings and sales, uh, return on equity, pre-tax margins, a, a variety of fundamental uh, variables that have a heavy weighting according to our studies because these are the variables that have been shown over many market cycles to have uh, predictive value in terms of whether that stock is going to be a leader or not. And you know, some of the other principles are to average down and to cut losses quickly. How does that work? You mean not to average down. We actually average up. Okay. So the essence of that is that you know people don't look at the market as we do, uh, essentially as a, an informational feedback system. If you buy a stock, and that's and, and uh, of course your decision to purchase a stock should be made on a certain uh, rationale and certain research you've done, a certain premise uh, that the stock should continue higher from where you bought it. If it begins to go down after you bought it, well, the market is telling you prima facie that your decision to buy that stock at that point in time at that price was wrong. And you, you don't compound the error by buying more because you think it's cheaper. Investors make the, the mistake of approaching the market as if they're consumers, as if they're buying clothes in the store. And it's not the same thing because you're not buying a retail uh, object or item. You're buying essentially a, a, an investment that you hope to sell at a higher price. And so uh, wherever you buy it, doesn't really matter. It's where it goes after you buy it. So if you average down, you're simply compounding your error and ignoring the information that the market is giving you. Now, we'll average up because if we buy a stock and it goes up, we then look for points where it makes sense to average up, and that's what we talk about on our website with respect to things like pocket pivots as being secondary buy points when you want to add to a stock that you purchase and then it goes up so that the market is giving you positive feedback and telling you your decision was correct. So averaging up is simply using the market's information or the market's feedback system in confirming your original correct decision uh, by to, to add your position and build upon that correct decision. You know, you average down, you're just building on an incorrect decision, you're ignoring the market and thinking you're smarter than the market. And that is a recipe for disaster. Uh, you know, just ask people like uh, Paulson, who, you know, bought tons of gold and had some big positions in other stocks, uh, because he was going to be right, regardless of what the market did, and he's down 50% uh, this past year. So you're saying you should let your profits run, and that's a problem. A lot of people cut, cut their short, profits yeah. short. Yes, and I think in a lot of ways, investor psychology or human psychology, basic human psychology is entirely antithetical to what is necessary to function successfully in the stock market. So, you know, that's the challenge. We all, We have to fight ourselves more than anything. And a lot of the rules are so-called bromides that you hear on financial TV, like, you know, I actually heard someone on a financial TV uh, cable station say, uh, sell your, uh, take your profits, not your losses. And, boy, that is an, uh, just an absolutely foolish bit of advice. And I think, uh, though, people will say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll take my profits and hold on my losses because maybe they'll come back. Uh, and so much of that is just a recipe for disaster. And I think too much of that is what investors follow. And, that's why and then you also said, what is your view on uh, concentration of positions? Uh, some people say you want to be widely diversified, that you can't beat the market, and you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. What, what is your view on that based on what you've learned from O'Neill? Well, there's a balance. Uh, you know, certain trading personalities like O'Neill's um, or Gill's uh, tend to want to focus in just a, a small handful of names, maybe two, three, or four names. And that's great because uh, this is assuming that they've bought these positions a number of times on the way up, so their average cost is less, 
than where these stocks are currently trading. So they, they are coming at it from a very psych, a psychologically strong point. Um, now, my, my own style, and I know some styles of others, is to diversify a little bit more, but not to be too diversified. You don't want to be holding over 20 names because, first of all, it's very difficult to track that many names in your portfolio. Um, and also, the odds that all 20 of those stocks are going to be huge leading winners is, is almost uh, next to none. So I tend to uh, go at it with, uh, you know, in terms of having a handful of names and then expanding out to maybe, maybe as many as 16 names in a very strong market. Now, of those 16 names, I will pare, that, pare down the weakest names, so my portfolio ultimately goes, it might shrink from 16 names down to a more concentrated 10. Uh, but you know, with the advent of all this computer technology out there, it's very easy to follow 10 names very efficiently and to have your alerts set up uh, on where you want to add or where you might want to, uh, to sell. Okay. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guests this hour are Gil Morales uh, and Dr. Chris Kotcher, both co-founders of the Virtual of Selfish uh, Investing newsletter and website. And their new book is called Trade Like an O'Neill Disciple, how we made 18,000% in the stock market. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. If you lead a team of any kind, you need to listen to this show. Tune in to Leading with Emotional Intelligence, hosted by Esther Orioli. Esther provides you with the tools and techniques you need to harness the power of EQ to stop setting goals and start changing behaviors in your organization. Get the latest concepts in EQ from a top-of-the-house perspective and have your questions answered on air. Leading with Emotional Intelligence is broadcast live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Is your business or organization operating as efficiently as it should be? There are five basic dynamics present in every workplace that can effectively derail any organization. Be sure to listen for What's Leadership Got to Do With It? with Rick Tiemann. Rick and his guests will discuss how you can manage these five dynamics and improve your leadership skills. Leaders that want a successful business can't afford to miss this program. What's Leadership Got to Do With It? is broadcast live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Gil Morales and Dr. Chris Kotcher, who are co-founder of Virtue of Selfish Investing uh, Newsletter and Website. They've also done a book recently called Trade Like an O'Neill Disciple, 
uh, how he made 18,000% in the stock market. Welcome back to both of you. Nice to Okay, we want to talk about uh, what you call pivotal points versus pivot points. Uh, so uh, why don't you explain the difference between those and actually what a pivot point is, how you can identify it? Well, I think, I think the whole idea of pivot points and buy points uh, kind of embodied in the thinking of O'Neill as well as uh, Jesse Livermore and Richard Wyckoff. And so O'Neill's pivot point is a buy point that is generally represented by a breakout to new highs from a consolidation or what do you call a base, which is just a big sideways movement. And when the stock breaks out through the top of that sideways movement, uh, that's a, a new high breakout, and that's what is known as a pivot point. Now, what we observed and what we've observed you know, since leaving O'Neill is that everybody has charts out there, and everybody sees these breakouts when they occur. So O'Neill's done a great job of popularizing a lot of that and also popularizing the use of charts. So everybody's looking at charts these days, and everybody sees these stocks when they break out to new highs. And to gain an edge in current environment where everybody has access to information like charts and sees the breakouts, the obvious technical breakouts, which everybody will buy into, uh, Dr. K did some research uh, that discovered some new buy points that could be easily defined that occur within a consolidation before the breakout, uh, as well as uh, as a continuation buy point where you would add to your position uh, once you begin to move higher from your original purchase price. So essentially a pocket pivot is a particular uh, price and volume signature that shows up within a consolidation. And generally what you'll see is a stock going sideways and the volume is getting very quiet and starting to get very light as investors uh, pay less and less attention to it. And suddenly you'll see an increase in volume. It doesn't have to be necessarily a huge increase, but that increase in volume will be the highest upside volume over the prior 10 days uh, and higher than any down volume over the prior 10 days as well. So uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be the highest upside volume, but it, it, it should be higher than any downside volume over the prior 10 days. That's a little bit technical. But just think of it as over 10 days, you'll see one spike coming at the end of it, and that will be higher than any of the down volume uh, that is in the prior uh, 10 days of trading on the chart. When you see that, and the stock's kind of been going sideways along the 50-day or the 10-day moving average, that can be a pocket pivot buy point. And on our website, give us an example or two of that. Why don't you give us an example yeah, sure. Actually, of how you also, might have um, Any of the listeners can go uh, straight to selfishinvesting.com forward slash FAQ and then type in pocket pivot into the keyword search bar. That will come up with all the discussion, um, the, the lengthy discussion on, on the concept with, with right. actual chart examples. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there's, of course, many, many examples abound. Um, in 2011, there were very few stocks that actually uh, made huge gains in a very clean manner since 2011 was mostly trendless and volatile and perhaps goes down in history as one of the most challenging markets uh, we've had yet since it just it didn't really, it, neither, neither up or down trends persisted. But there was one stock, uh, MCP, which is Molly Corp. And uh, they specialized in uh, rare earth metals. And if people remember, the Chinese had uh, or still have quite a monopoly on this. Um, and there was a lot of uh, talk about uh, how uh, the big companies, uh, MCP I think is the leading company in this field, uh, might fare uh, given, given their position in rare earth metals. So in, uh, actually it was at the end of 2010 in December, that uh, if listeners would uh, pull up the chart of MCP, and if you don't have access to a computer chart, um, just imagine a, a consolidation that has constructive price volume action and then 
a big upside day in price and volume um, after a constructive consolidation. And it wasn't to new highs because, in other words, it wasn't a base breakout. It occurred within the base. So it allowed us to take an initial early position in the stock. And then when the stock did actually break out, it added us to add to the position. So now our average cost in the stock was less than had we just bought it on the base breakout. And then MCP proceeded to go uh, quite a bit higher in uh, something like 60, I think it went up 60, 70% in a matter of uh, just three weeks. Um, and then it repeated this kind of pattern in, uh, in late March of 2011. Um, and that's kind of like a gift to see, you know, such a clean pattern trace out and then a you know, fairly obvious buy point uh, given by the pocket pivot concept. You talk in your book about emotions and predictions and how you should be listening to opinions and news and tips. There's just so much information out there on TV and magazines. What are some of the overall tips you have about how to filter all that stuff to what's relevant for your trading? Well, I would say pay no attention to it. And, uh, you know, the essence of news is that it's just what's happening in the present for the most part. And when the market... Uh, is reacting to news, uh, often that's just an alibi for what it's really doing, which is discounting the future. So any news coming out today, the market likely already reacted to that news ahead of time because the market discounts and uh, discounts the future. It is a leading in the economic indicator. And so, you know, what the market's looking at is six to nine months down the road. So just watch the market. You don't even have to really pay attention to the news. I mean, to some extent, the news may create a context. So, so for example, if you understand that a lot of the volatility in the market and the choppiness in the market is due to a very news-oriented situation coming out of Europe, then that can, to some extent, give you some guidance as far as understanding the underlying conditions and whether the odds are in your favor if there is really this major news flow that is affecting the market. If it is, then you would simply just stay away. But in terms of trying to use the, the news flow to make this investment decisions based on what the news flow is on any particular day, we think you just filter it out because the market will already tell you what you need to be doing just by its own price and volume action. So we would say focus on what the market is doing rather than the news. I mean, a lot of times you'll see bad news and the market may start to sell off and then it turns around and takes off uh, after that news because the news is out and uh, the market's going to start discounting the future, which is going to be some other news. So it's like the market speaking to you. You don't have to know why particularly, but just listen to what the market's saying is what you're saying. Exactly, as to the, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Ask, uh, you, I find that asking why uh, is a is a recipe for actually losing money because because uh, the whole problem with um, news is that and, and being glued to the news is that the markets can shake you out of a, of a, of your winning positions prematurely simply because the market had an initial knee jerk downside reaction to the news and then stabilized and then went higher. Uh, I see this in I see this all the time and I mean I've seen this in myself as well. Uh, it's it's a I, I prefer to not have news coming in. Uh, back in the days at O'Neill, uh, my office was the only one that did not have a television, did not have any satellite feed. I didn't want to have the news. I called it the clean room environment, and that invariably did help with my own trading. Um, and and you know, today we have the internet is just you know rife with news, and, and it's hard to stay away from the news. I I try to use the news constructively in a sense. Like what Gil was saying, in a contextual way. So if the, if the news ex is expected to be uh, uh, bad uh, for the market, yet the market rallies, that shows we're in a in a strong environment or a strong environment on that day, and vice versa. If the news is supposed to be overwhelmingly positive, like a like a very strong unemployment report, uh, employment report, right. and then yet the market sells off, that's a that's a warning signal. 
You talk about how to survive by keeping your ego in check. Uh, how does one do that when the, your ego is on the line all the time in investing? Go ahead. Well, this is, uh, like a, I think psychologist. this is the biggest uh, issue that a lot of traders will eventually face as uh, they come into more and more success with the markets because money has a, has a way of inflating one's ego. And I think that's, uh, that's uh, knowing yourself and knowing your weaknesses, um, knowing if you're vulnerable to that, I think is very important. And knowing you're vulnerable to making a lot of money in the market and having success is uh, half the battle. I mean, once you recognize that in yourself, then when it, as it continues to occur, you can deal with it more effectively. Um, I, I've seen this happen many times with traders and in, say, into the dot-com bubble of uh, March of 2000, where they just felt they could do no wrong, that they'd figured out the market finally. Um, you know, some of these guys were quitting O'Neill and starting their own firms. Some of them were buying up uh, second vacation homes, and it just seemed a little bit manic. I have uh, read hundreds and hundreds of books on the market, and I remember there were there were a few books that were published in the 19th century that were very telling about all the mar market bubbles that had occurred uh, hun over the last thousand years. And it seemed like people's reactions to market bubbles were always the same. You get this manic uh, situation where people are just assuming that they, they can now make money or print money at will. Um, and so I saw the telltale fingerprint signs uh, going into March of 2000, and frankly, it actually made me very nervous that it was it became so easy to make money in the market. And I, I figured something something's got to give at some point. Um, and of course, March 2000 was the market top. What if is there a bubble out there now? And if so, what is where is the bubble today? Hmm. Is there a bubble? Well, I, I think bubbles are generally identified in hindsight. If you try to predict bubbles. Uh, I think you'll get on the wrong side of the market. I mean, a lot of people have been trying to predict a bubble in gold since, uh, you know, 2008, 2009, and it's continuing to move higher. Now, finally, when everybody wants to jump in, you know, that, that was the top, at least short term, and gold seems to be consolidating. Some but, would say there's a bond bubble, but bonds have, you know, have tons of people well, putting I mean, money into market, bonds. I think it's distorted. So if you're saying there's potential for distortion in the markets, I think with the Fed creating easy money, you know, the, a lot of this uh, – uh, people complain about speculation, but when the Fed holds interest rates close to zero and provides easy credit and easy money, uh, why shouldn't anybody <coughs> speculate uh, with money that is essentially costless to them? Uh, so I think that in that sense, there is some distortion in the markets. Where and when that creates bubbles that will eventually burst, the market will tell you. So all you have to do is really watch the market. But I would say, you know, just from an anecdotal point of view, I think if the Fed has been pumping money into the system in a manner that has distorted markets, it's somewhere, someplace there is, you know, a thin spot in the uh, laminate there that can just burst open uh, very quickly, and you, you may see it unravel very quickly when it happens. But I think there's potential yet yeah, a number of places for uh, bubbles based on market distortion caused by easy money policies around the globe. So but you're not really in the business of predicting. A much larger than people will ever expect. I, I remember uh, Greenspan's irrational exuberance speech in 1997, and that was followed by Warren Buffett making a claim that he is he's not investing in tech stocks because they are they're due to fall. And this was well ahead of the March 2000 market top. So you know, in my view, they they missed out on one of the biggest bull markets of, of the of the last hundred years. So trying to pick these things is very um, is, is is very dangerous at best. Uh, and you will see the, t the telltale signs. Again, I encourage uh, listeners, especially the academic ones who really want to go back and study market history, look at market bubbles going back thousands of years 
because um, they've actually, you know, you can go back to the tulip craze, uh, you can go to the, the Florida land boom, all of these. They have a certain telltale characteristic where they, where they have a huge move to the upside, you know, gold in 1980, for instance, gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden you'll get a lot of volatility as up and down volatility at the top. Uh, and that, that is your telltale signal that you may, you may want to take profits at that level. And then uh, if the market bubble is going to continue to expand, it'll get quiet again and then move higher. But it almost uh, never happens that way. Usually that uh, inter- newly introduced volatility on the downside usually ends up in uh, a bubble that pops. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guests this hour are Gil Morales and Dr. Chris Kotcher, uh, who are both the co-founders of Virtue of Selfish Investing. Uh, and they also have a new book out. Uh, called Trade Like an O'Neill Disciple, How He Made 18,000% in the Stock Market. We'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Gil Morales and Dr. Chris Karcher. Uh, they are the founders of the Virtual of Selfish Investing Investment Advisory News Service. Uh, they are also the authors of a new book called Trade Like an O'Neill Disciple, How We Made $18,000, uh, 18,000% uh, in the Stock Market. Welcome back to both of A little more than $18,000, yeah. A little more than $18,000, yes, 18,000%. Just a little. Um, now, in your book, you have uh, what you call your Bill of Commandments, your Ten Commandments. And I just thought we'd go over uh, right. some of these briefly and how these might apply in, in the current market situation. Your first commandment is basically never to get carried away with yourself. And, and how would you apply that to the current situation? Uh, I think essentially if, you have, uh, if you're successful in the market, I, I think you need to keep it all in perspective and not get carried away with the idea that it's all you. I mean, a surfer 
goes out and catches big waves in the ocean, but the surfers do not create the waves. And, you know, surfers have a very devout respect for the forces of nature and the forces of what they deal with, which is essentially the ocean and the power of the ocean. And you have to recognize that the market in many ways is the same thing. And all we're doing is trying to read the ocean and read where the waves are and catch a big wave and ride it and survive that ride uh, and then get off you know, with a nice profit ready to ride another wave. But we recognize that we are not the wave. We don't create the wave. And, uh, and to think that we are beyond and above the market is, uh, is where you start to get carried away with yourself. And like Chris is saying before we broke uh, for the commercial, uh, in 2000 a lot of people started to think that way. They, they actually began to project certain outcomes in terms of what their net worth would be or how many islands they could buy based on the assumption that their success would continue at the same rate. And you, you, if you think about that, that's just incredible hubris, uh, and, and naively so, you know, to think that you have the power now to print money, essentially. And I think that was O'Neill's me- message, is that you can have great success in the market, but like a surfer who loses respect for the power of the ocean that he swims in, you can get dashed against the rocks if you don't maintain that respect and remember what determines how much money you make, which is the market itself, not necessarily your genius. So 1999 was a year when a lot of market geniuses were born, and you might include us among those as well. Uh, but I think those who survive and continue to today, like we do, uh, recognize that the market move is what, what made our money for us. Our, our ability was only in identifying the wave, jumping on it, and riding it to near perfection. And I think that's all we can ever hope to do. So that result is the essence. Your second commandment is never to operate from a position of fear. And there's a lot of fear in the marketplace today. A lot of people putting money into CDs and bonds and so-called safe havens because they're so worried about what's happened. They've been traumatized the last few years. So how, in this environment, do you not operate out of a position of fear? That saying, scared money never wins, is very true. Um, we always tell people if they're going to be investing in the market, do so with money you can afford to lose. Imagine that you've lost it all, and how is that going to make you feel? Is that going to change your lifestyle? Um, only, only invest money that you can afford to lose. Then you're more likely to do the right things uh, at the right times. I've seen many, many people that uh, you know they, they're, they're investing money that that uh, they're hoping to make money off of so they can pay bills. That's, that's the recipe for disaster because you're, when the market turns against you, and it will at some point, uh, you need to have a clear head so that you don't sell your position prematurely. You also have, need to have a clear head so that maybe when it's time to sell, you've got to sell. Uh, taking a loss is uh, paramount to successful investing, but if you're investing from a position of fear, you might not be willing to take that loss when you should. Likewise, when you have a big gain in a stock, you might be more likely to take that profit off the table prematurely to capture your gain. But, but in our experience, and this is, includes you know, over 20 years of trading the markets, our biggest wins are always from stocks that are going up not 50% or 100%, but the ones that really led the market you know, and went up hundreds of percents. And uh, that makes all the difference to our portfolio. Um, and so I think you know, listeners should, should be always going for what we call the home run, the Grand Slam home run stocks. And statistically speaking, if you employ our methodology to uh, the universe of stocks, you should be able to land on at least one of these names in any given year. And that will, of course, make the difference. Um, and if you don't hit one of those names, and I mean, in a year like 2011, there are very few grand slams. I mean, there was MCP, and I, I wouldn't even call that a grand slam. <laughs> that was maybe a triple play or something. But uh, it, it, it's, 
it's a difficult year, so the best you can hope for is maybe, you know, not not a robust uh, high level, you know, 80% return, but, you know, if you can do, you know, 20 or 30% in a year like 2011, you're doing pretty well. And then when you get a good year again, uh, where that window is open for a longer time, then you can more than make up for it with potentially a triple-digit percentage gain. Your next commandment is that you learn more from your enemies than you do your friends. How does that work? Um, well, your friends always tell you what you want to hear, and your enemies don't. That's the essence of it. And in doing so, your enemies might reveal flaws uh, that uh, you can then identify. You know, you have the information identify them thanks to your enemies, and uh, you can Im- improve them or uh, create rules or methods to correct your deficiency. So it's basically the essence that self-criticism and, and allowing your enemies to be critics and provide criticism that you then react to in terms of improving and using as information. So again, turning a negative into a positive is a big part of O'Neill's thought, uh, both in the markets and I would say in life in general. And I think that's that's a critical aspect. And he would always tell me, you know, when, if you have a, a critic or someone who hates you and they point out all kinds of things, turn it on them by taking the information that they're actually providing you uh, as in terms of trying to identify your flaws and uh, use that to uh, improve your flaws. And, and that, in that sense, you really turn a, a negative into a positive, and that's the way we try to operate uh, today because we're out there and we get a lot of critics, you know, but if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. But the best way to do that when you're getting criticism from people is to take t- the criticism to heart in the sense that your enemy is doing you a favor by identifying something uh, for you to improve upon. So, for example, would you say to listen to short sellers a lot who are saying why stocks should be going down, specific stocks? That's a good good source of information? No. I wouldn't see that as the same thing. Somebody criticizing your stocks, um, you would, I would just de- deal with uh, my stocks on the basis of my own thinking as long as they continue to act fine. So remember, others' opinions in that case, uh, whether negative or positive, are never to really be listened to. Okay, and your next commandment is to never stop learning and improving. Uh, The only way to do this is by constantly analyzing your mistakes and correcting them. Maybe just give us an example of where you analyze the mistake and learn from it. Okay, simple example is keeping a uh, regular journal, a trading journal, so that when you uh, put on a trade, uh, whether you're buying or selling or pyramiding, you write down the reason behind it. And you also make note of all your buying, selling, and pyramid points on a chart and take a red marker at the end of uh, every quarter and uh, identify those points and and, and you're going to see a pattern. You're going to see a pattern of correct buys and sells and you're also going to also spot out the ones that were incorrect. And uh, you keep this uh, this daily, uh, it could be a daily journal, it could be a weekly thing, but it's really important to always go back and uh, and, and, and go back over your trades and the thinking behind uh, each trade. Your next commandment is, uh, at least O'Neill's commandment, is never to talk about your stocks. Why would you not want to do that? Well, I mean, people like to run around when their stocks are doing well, and when people do well in the market, you know, you always hear about it. So you'll always hear, you know, so-and-so telling you at a cocktail party, oh, I bought the stock, I made a bunch of money, but they don't tell you about the five other stocks they bought where they lost money. And O'Neill's basic premise was you don't need to be talking about what you're doing in the market. If you are finding that you have a need to run around talking about your stocks and talking about your success to everybody, that's a sign of ego. 
And uh, I can recall being very excited during late 98 when we owned stocks like AOL, America Online, and Schwab, and the stocks were going up very rapidly. And I, I called Bill up and was very bullient about, uh, you know, the stock that I owned was going up. And I went on and on for a few minutes. And I, when I was all done, he just said to me, don't talk about your stocks. And then he hung up. And so he could have cared less what my stocks were doing, how much money I was making, because it wasn't a big deal to him, because that implied, uh, you know, the need to talk about your what you're doing in the markets implies that you're applying some ego there. And so we just, you know, keep quiet about what you're doing, keep your head down, your nose to the grindstone, and and keep working hard. So, And, and related to that, your, your sixth commandment is not to get giddy at the top. You're not talking about your stocks. Is it? How do you resist that impulse to want to brag and say and feel how well you're doing when things are going well? Well, I think it's okay to feel that impulse. I, I think, though, as an investor, you, there are two parts of you. There's your normal human part, and then there's the part that's the investor that's looking in from the outside and trying to assess things objectively. And I think uh, what you do at that point is just you begin to, re- to recognize that your normal person, your normal self, is beginning to feel giddy about the investments that the investor person you are has made. Then the investor person uh, or personality needs to say, uh-oh, time to bail out, because we're getting a little bit too excited. So that may be how you can use that information. And would you have the corollary not to get too depressed when things are down? Yeah. I mean, yeah, Chris, you want to? Yeah, well, it, yeah, it goes both ways. I mean, I think it's it's very important to be introspective, uh, and that's part of uh, keeping a journal is keeping a record of your thoughts. And if you spot something inside yourself, such as giddiness when you made a lot of money, or depression when you had a string of losers, it's important to mark that down, the time, the date, all of that, so that you can see how you can overcome. Uh, that giddiness, which is a weakness, in the, it's, it's a clear weakness, as we all saw in 99 leading up to the March 2000 uh, market top, um, and as well as uh, the downside of that is, uh, for instance, 2001 to 2002, which were brutal bear markets, and a lot of people started to throw in the towel, and by 2003 March, when my uh, market direction model had an all-clear, uh, perhaps one of the strongest uh, buy signals that it had um, in three years, a lot of people weren't interested in trading the market at that point, but yet uh, the leading stocks, such as Amazon and eBay, had shaped up very nice spacing patterns, and were all those in turn were also issuing pocket pivots that were viable. So all the ducks lined up in a row in March of, of 2003. That, to me, was the all-clear signal to get on bo- back on board. And uh, these these periods where you have all the ducks in a the row, they're they're like you know I call them gifts. You know when they happen. Like like in uh, late 2006, um, September 2006, you just had a number of names issuing pocket pivots, and everything was lined up very well. And in three months, uh, if you played things right, I mean, I, I, my own account uh, was up about 115%. Um, and that was really due to the pocket pivot uh, discovery I'd made um, in 2005, being able to get on board early. Because I can tell you back in the 90s, as well as I did, I wasn't able to do that well in that kind of market environment. You know, we had a powerful market, but it wasn't crazy like uh, 99, parts of 98 and 99 where you had, you know, just huge upside moves. So I'm very, very pleased. And you just, uh, yeah, just keep, keep an eye on your emotions and uh, understanding yourself. Okay, we're going to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guests this hour are Gil Morales and Dr. Chris Kutcher. Uh, both co-founders of the Virtue of Selfish Investing website, uh, and their book is called Trade Like an O'Neill Disciple, How He Made 18,000% in the Stock Market. We'll be back after this. 
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you are looking for creative ways to improve your bottom line, tune in to Make Your Move with Alan and Brian Bolio. Their proven track record of helping businesses enhance their profitability will provide the basis for a forum about actionable items based on a business person's perspective. The program will be business talk, but with an economic context, so you'll know how to stay ahead of the game. Make Your Move is broadcast live every Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Gil Morales and Dr. Chris Kotcher, who are both co-founders of the Virtue of Selfish Investing website and investor advisory service. Uh, their website is SelfishInvesting.com, and their book is called Trade Like an O'Neill Disciple, How We Made 18,000% in the Stock Market. Welcome back to both of you. Thanks, Jordan. Mm-hmm. We just want to go back to the, uh, the commandments briefly. Your seventh commandment is to use weekly charts first, uh, daily charts second, and never to look at intraday charts. Why is that? Chris? Well, the weeklies give you the uh, broad perspective, uh, so they give you more of uh, the 20,000-foot view on the technical action of the stock. And so usually it's good to start from that viewpoint, and then you can size down into the daily charts, which give you the more, you know, more detailed information. And, uh, yeah, that's just a regular practice um, that we employ, you know, when we're, when we're analyzing a whole basket of stocks to see uh, which ones might, be, uh, might, might have that uh, big stock uh, potential. And that is commandment number eight is to find, find a big stock um, and then to own it in size. Big meaning large liquidity, large market cap. You're not really dealing with small cap stocks. Is that what he means by that? Well, what he means is a big stock in the sense that it's a leading issue of the day, as Jesse Livermore, the great trader Jesse Livermore, would have said back in the early 1900s. And basically, the big stock principle, as I call it, is basically the idea that in any bull market, the leading stocks are going to be those companies that are really at the cutting edge of whatever is going on in the economy at that time. They'll be the companies with the most innovative products, uh, the most forward-looking and innovative and entrepreneurial management, uh, making the biggest money, you know, and their things are selling like hotcakes. So obviously that becomes companies like Apple, like Google. Uh, in the past, you know, American Online. American Online has been one. Uh, my- Microsoft was a big winner back in the 80s. Home Depot back when uh, it was coming out in the, the 80s. 
uh, Walmart, you know, stocks like uh, Amgen and Biogen, Biotech, when they were coming out with all their their big drugs. So really, the companies that are really at the cutting edge of the economy with the, the biggest selling and most innovative products. And what happens is institutional investors, mutual funds, pension funds, hedge funds, trusts, they have to own the best stocks and the best or the best the stocks in the, of the best companies out there. And these are the ones that they will. So Apple, for example, is a very big institutional stock, is an institutional favorite, and it's one of the leading companies in the economy right now in terms of the, the products that they produce and the impact they have. So that is a big stock, and that's really what we mean in terms of big stock. Uh, you know, widely owned, widely followed, uh, a, a cutting-edge company that is really the driver of economic growth or one of the drivers of economic growth in the current environment. And then your ninth commandment is to be careful who you get into bed with. How does that apply to investing? <laughs> well, as we know, to, uh, STDs are us, a you know? part of... Uh, <laughs> no, go ahead, Chris. Uh, I was I'll let you going to say, the, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier in an interview that uh, when, you have, uh, when you're working with the two other guys that don't share your investment ideology but bring great track records to the table, you would think you could make it work. But my learning experience was that even though I controlled the show... Uh, it doesn't help it when uh, when you got two guys that are sending you scathing emails asking you know why are you doing what you're doing and you 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 think you know what you're doing because you've always done it that way but they don't see it they don't see eye to eye and that can affect how you trade and I realize that it's it's just not a good recipe to have uh, different ideologies in in the same uh, fund uh, so that was part of the um, big uh, incentive actually in uh, teaming up again with Gill was that we've always shared the same investment ideology. We just have a natural synch- synchronicity uh, when it comes to uh, investing in the markets. And uh, since we've uh, joined forces again, uh, that's proven out. And the final commandment is to always maintain insane, insane focus. Uh, is that something that a lot of people do not uh, tend to do? I think most of the world uh, does everything half-cocked. So I think O'Neill's uh, feeling was that you should have a certain passion for the markets and if you find, I think if you find it that it's more work than anything, then maybe you don't have the passion. So, you know, what he felt was necessary for success, and he was an example, uh, in as much as anybody in instilling this in us, uh, is that uh, he had this intense or insane focus. In other words, you were just so laser, laser beamed down into your work and what you were looking for in the market that, and you derived such a joy from it that you could basically outwork anybody, uh, and that was really the essence of, uh, of becoming very good at investing in stocks. So those are the Ten Commandments that uh, you talk about in your book. Let's now apply them a little bit. And maybe, Gil, okay. why don't you give us uh, a stock that you think is, is well-positioned based on all these things uh, today that, that uh, you think the listeners should take a look at? Well, there's been a couple, three stocks that we've talked about uh, on our website as exhibiting positive action lately, and a lot of those have been in the medical and biotech area, which – you know, demand for medical services, demand for drugs is not generally going to decline during a, an economic slowdown or during a, a soft economy. So we have seen strength in these lately. So some of the stocks that we like, for example, QuestCore Pharmaceuticals is one we've liked. It's up 8% today. Uh, Spectrum Pharmaceuticals, Sam Peter Peter India is also doing pretty well. And it's actually exhibiting a pocket pivot buy point today. Salex Pharmaceuticals, S. Uh, Sam, Larry, X-Ray, Peter, SLXP is also up today and it's been acting very well. So those are stocks that we think investors should be uh, keeping a close eye on. And if they do exhibit buy points, it is possible to start taking 
initial positions, you know, with the idea of cutting your loss if the stock drops more than 7 8% from where you buy it. And how about you, Chris? What would be some of your favorites? Well, I, yeah, I'd like, uh, I, you know, medical stocks are showing uh, a lot of strength even in, um, in the, uh, the headwinds uh, of the general market. And uh, also we uh, had uh, recommended uh, Jazz, J-A-Z-Z, that was an actionable stock um, recently. And uh, that that is a medical stock. Um, ISRG is another one, uh, Intuitive uh, Surgical. Uh, And then outside of the uh, medical sector, um, there have been some retailers that have been showing showing some strength um, that, that are also actionable. In, uh, and especially when you look at what the market's done over the last uh, many months, to see a pattern like SBH, which is Sally Beauty Holdings, um, and with excellent fundamentals, um, is is a clue that maybe this uh, stock wants to uh, outperform once the market gets back up on its feet. Okay. Um, so, in, in kind of looking at the entire picture here, are, are you generally uh, optimistic or pessimistic about the, the market going forward here? Let's start with you, Chris. Well, I, you know, this is the thing. The bull markets that began, such as the one on March 17, 2003, or uh, September 1, 2010, they're usually accompanied by base breakouts or pocket pivots exhibited by leading stocks. The problem with the uh, recent follow-through day, uh, some of the, I, I know some of the periodicals out there went, uh, went to a, shall we say, a buy, uh, buy signal um, on December 20, 2011. But it was not accompanied by uh, such action, and so my model uh, did not switch to a buy signal, uh, simply because leadership has been virtually non-existent. Uh, the names that we just gave are the ones we we believe that could buck the trend if the market doesn't want to want to go into an uptrend. These are names that may outperform anyway. Um, and and the other thing is that new rallies begin with a healthy dose of skepticism. Yet the AAII is showing only 17 percent bearish which is one of the lower values for bearish sentiment in a number of years. Okay. We have to go to a close. We've had a really very good education on investing. My guests during this hour have been Gil Morales and Dr. Chris Kotcher, uh, the co-founders of the Virtue of Selfish Investing Investment Advisory Service. Their website is selfishinvesting.com. And again, their book is Trade Like an O'Neill Disciple, How He Made 18,000% in the Stock Market. Thank you both, Gil and Chris, for being on The Money Answer Show. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Jordan. Thank you, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.